Youngster Year. Lily West is best known as the genius behind the band Lala Lala, who just released their third record, I Want the Door to Open, via Hardly Art, and she's here with me today to talk about it, as well as her time in music thus far. Lily, thanks for being on. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for calling me a genius. I, I mean, it's audible, so, and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> so, you recently did an interview uh, with Atwood Magazine. They wrote in their abstract that with this new record, you, this is a quote, chase clear-headed authenticity and you reevaluate your world like never before. And then it goes into a more in-depth uh, review of the album. But first, would you say that's an accurate description of how you approach this record? Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this yesterday because I already, you know, like, I feel like as I talk about a record, my opinions change about it, at, like, even throughout the press cycle. Yeah. Um, like I had a different opinion as I was writing it, as I was recording it, and now, and I was thinking about yesterday how often I feel that my writing is—I um, <laughs> don't want to say psychic. For, okay. It's just—it's just like I think that I write about things that I'm not ready yet to actually face. Yeah. Um, or like I, situations that I'm not ready to assess, but they come out in the songs, and I was thinking about that with this record that I think I did that more with this record than I initially thought, which is usually the case with all my songwriting. But yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. I think that I'm definitely in a more reflective place than I ever have been and a more, more desperate place to change. Okay. Um, when I was younger, I just didn't think about really the, uh, the universe or the way I behaved like the, as much as yeah. I do now. Um, I, I just a lot less self-reflection and reflection in general and <laughs> critical thinking. Yeah. So it's more like kind of a way to process things that you aren't necessarily aware of about yourself. And then you just sort of like, it's out there. And so you kind of process it after the fact. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Okay. You've also mentioned in another interview that I read that even after the re release of your second album, I believe, uh, which showed a huge evolution in your overall sound, that you still hadn't locked in exactly what you wanted to write or what you should be as an artist. So I know you're just kind of talking about the way that this new album has evolved your sound. Do you think you've accomplished that now? Like, do you think you've arrived or at least taken a step in the right direction? No, I mean, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely haven't arrived, but what I do know now is that I am capable of searching harder than I thought that I was. Mm. Like, I, I definitely am moving closer and I'm really excited about that. I feel a lot less lost in terms of sound. I yeah. feel, yeah, I feel like I have a, a certain direction that I'm interested in going right now that I didn't. I sort of just floated about before. Yeah, I mean, I experimented a lot with this record and found that I was, like I said, capable of doing more than I knew. So yes and no, I have not arrived. I don't know if you ever arrive at the yeah. sound. I guess that was kind I mean, of an unfair question. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe one day. My, I, uh, I remember when Sen Morimoto, who plays saxophone mm -hmm. on um, the first and last songs on the record, and he also plays bass on one song okay. and has vocal pads. I'm going to be thorough with the credits. <laughs> um, he, when he first sent me his last record, the self-titled one that came out last year, I texted him about it. I was like, this is... So, you know, this is so incredible. I really think he's he's a genius. Mm -hmm. um, and he, I remember he said, thank you so much. I'm really proud of it, but it's not the one. <laughs> he was okay. like, I think that maybe the next record is the one. Um, right. But I kind of think that, I don't know, if you make the one, 
maybe you stop wanting to make anything. But then again, maybe you want yeah. to just make something totally different. Yeah, you don't want to peak. I get that. <laughs> and so actually, yeah, despite doing most of your writing in solitude, uh, mm -hmm. you've always been fairly collaborative, right? You've done a lot of collaborations. Um, and this is actually your first full length, I believe, to feature some of those collaborations. I think in the past it's always been like singles. So how do your collaborations mostly come about? Um, fairly naturally. I mean, it's most, you know, it's mostly people I know. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't yet collaborated with a stranger. Um, just someone I admire who I'm, who I'm sort of friends with and suggest it, but they all evolve very differently. Like Straight and Narrow and actually Plates are both songs that I pretty much had fully written and I had left in a straight and narrow I left space for Kara I was like okay I would love for you to put a verse on this song and they wrote the lyrics to that verse as well which is the only collaboration on the record that worked like that and okay and Ben on plates I had written that I I wrote his verse and he just sang it I mean I gave it to him I was like I really hear you on the song and I hear all lyrics that I wrote you can change them like you can do whatever but he ended up just recording the verse that I had written. But um, yeah, collaboration's very different. Per the, I usually try and let the other person guide the experience depending on, okay. on what it is. They, like, I try not, if someone isn't really into it or if they're not getting back to me fast or enthusiastically, like I, I will not push it. Okay. Except, I will say for this record, I bugged Sen so much. <laughs> And he was so busy. I was like, I, I called him one day. I was like, I know you're so busy. I think it was for Lava because he had already done Utopia Planet and like blew my fucking mind. Mm -hmm. I thought Utopia Planet was done before it had Zach's phone. I was like, this is how it is. And then now, now it's like, oh, this song doesn't exist without his right. contributions. Like I'm obsessed with what he did. And I just thought it would be so perfect if he also uh, played on Lava for like bookending the record and he was so he was like looking at his record i think kaina's record he had a full-time job at the hideout and i i just bugged him and i bugged him and i bugged him which is unusual for me but shout out sen for mm -hmm. being a trooper and uh fielding my my enthusiasm you've worked with him a couple times before right i try and work with him at any chance i get i just he is out of this world yeah it's crazy and so you've obviously put a lot of thought into these tracks with your collaborations and, and otherwise. Now you've said before as well that, let's just take your first album for example, you didn't think as much about what you recorded and that if you did it again, some of the songs might not have made the cut. Have you presently found any drawbacks to the approach of maybe being more intentional about what songs make it onto your releases? No, only benefits. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, yeah, I think I am. Um... I regret less, but I do still, so, I mean, I still have like some things I wish were different. I, again, I think that that is also something that maybe doesn't change. At least in my experience, I don't know yet. I haven't been putting out records for that long, but, and I guess that's just the nature of evolving your sound already. You know, you're like, already this doesn't necessarily represent what I'm interested in, mm -hmm. but I'm trying to be appreciative of the different parts of myself that I maybe no longer identify yeah, on that same note, I, okay, I know you've talked about this in like a couple of your interviews, but Color of the Pool took like 30-something tries, is that right? Oh my god, it <laughs> took so... I mean, literally like years and years that song has existed in many different forms. I used to play it a totally different version of it. I think, I think it was called No Guitar Song. Okay. No, I don't know. I can't even remember. I had this uh, solo project. I mean, I guess Lala's kind of solo, but um, it's called Blanket or Small Rat, I also called it. And I 
did a DIY tour where me and my friends Isabel and Luke did uh, choreographed dances in matching outfits and it, like played two tracks. Wow. And, uh, um, it was so DIY that it was like, I recorded the Blanket albums directly into my computer microphone all through one amp. So there's an insane amount of digital distortion. It's like so hard to listen to. And I just played it, I think literally from my phone Okay. At, at, like in basements and we did these really uh, almost like it, it was pre-TikTok and I really think that they represent like we were representing someone poorly uh, performing a TikTok dance you know when <laughs> yeah. someone is like very haltingly moving through the steps of a TikTok dance that's kind of exactly what we were doing and we had these um we had white shorts and white shirts that I sewed these big hearts onto uh, the front of, but I'm also DIY. really bad at sewing, so yeah. <laughs> um, they didn't look good. But I performed that song in those early years of performing in a totally different version. I think, I mean, the melody was the same, but completely mm. different arrangement, completely different lyrics. And the only way that you, it sounds like the only way that you were able to like finalize it is that you just kind of locked yourself in a room for like, it was like the last day of recording, is that right? And you just kind of like grinded it out? It was just, it, yeah, it was like, I think it was the second to last day that I was going to be at Yoni's house. And you know, it's during COVID, it's really, you know, it's really hard to organize anything pre-vaccine. I had to isolate in Chicago and then isolate in Cincinnati. And sorry, my, I just thought that my shadow was <laughs> a spider. Um, it's fine. I hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was a little bit of a high pressure situation. And we had a totally different version that had these, um, the beat was like, it was like a kick drum and then me exhaling, like, okay. which was which was cool. Yeah. I think that was Yoni's idea. And he, he actually recently sent me, I believe, an Ariana Grande song that uh, has it. Now we were like, okay, Ariana Grande yeah, ripped so us off somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Even though we never released that version. <laughs> she knew. Um, she has, she is following me. She is listening to me. <laughs> she cares about me deeply. Of course, understandably. Yes. <laughs> but I just, I mean, I was also really emotional that I just started crying. I was like, I hate it. It's not, it's not right. And I really wanted it to be on this record. It really felt like if it didn't make it with this batch of songs, it was never going to make it. And it's an important song to, I just knew there was something there. I was like, there's something magical that we haven't found yet. Mm -hmm. um, and God, I can't remember if the saxophone came first or my bass synth. It must have been my bass synth because we, yeah, we really tried to, this is EDM version I made of Color of the Pool with okay. a garage band uh, preset, uh, like arpeggiator that is, I think sounds kind of cool. And, and <laughs> I have performed it live once with that version. Uh, but it's really corny. It's like very clearly a, a preset from a computer. Interesting. But there's something about the pacing of it that was really uh, appealing to me. And Yoni was, in, we tried it on the piano and Yoni was interested in doing it on the pocket piano. Um, and he was satisfied with that. Collaborating with him, we were like pushing and pulling constantly. Like mm. we both were like, okay, this could just the pocket piano, but like, but something's missing. And I just had him, I found this bass synth sound that I sort of manipulated on this tiny uh, DX7 I have. It's like a Casio keyboard. I love it and I recommend it, especially for recording. But I just had him leave the room and leave the song on loop until I 
figured out the bass synth line, and it really all came together after that. That was like a mo that was also a moment that almost never happens to me with writing and recording, where it just suddenly was so good. Yeah. It just I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't even know if Yoni thought it was that good. I, he came back and I was like, look what I've done. <laughs> and he and just kind of let it go. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, we I think we both love that song. It's awesome. Yeah. I think it's a standout on the album for sure. Um, just with the sheer amount of time, though, that you worked on that song, do you think if you had more time, do you think it would maybe have been a different version still that made the cut? Or was that, like, totally it? I think that if you, like, if someone had made me work on it more, that I would have... Uh, change it, but I am. That is a rare case in which I'm a hundred percent satisfied with the song. Wow. Like I, I do not want it to be any different. As of now, that's exactly how. Yeah. That's awesome. Quick kind of change of topic here. I was, uh, admittedly, I was stalking your Instagram the other day, and uh, this is probably like two weeks ago, I think. So it's it's been some time. But you posted about this song, uh, Jour Eight. French is hard. I, I'm. Oh, sure Hilda God. Right. Yes, it's a collaboration album between Helena Deland and Ori. What about that last song in particular stuck out to you? I don't know. I can't believe they recorded. From my understanding, they wrote and recorded it in eight days. Oh, like wow. They, well, maybe I'm wrong. That's just how I interpret it. But either way, I don't know. It just hits so hard. The uh, ambiance is incredible. Oh yeah. Like the intro ambiance is so enchanting. And the bass line is, it's really driving. And they also really don't have like a lot of flashy production. It's like FKA Twigs mm. where it's, I mean, FKA Twigs is like cleaner than them, but I feel like neither of them, they have very minimal production. It's very much like what is necessary um, to be impactful without, you know, it's not necessarily like loud equals yeah. uh, intense or whatever. But um, I think also their voices intertwining are so, it's almost like they're the same voice, but they're slightly different in, in this sort of creepy way. That's amazing. And then um, when they say, I don't give a fuck who you think of, and then the beat comes in, it's just so good. I don't know. It's just, that's the kind of music I want to make. It's like, it's highly impactful. It's not a lot of frills and the sounds are really interesting you know mm. it's like kind of electronic you kind of don't know what's happening i mean the bass is obviously a bass but uh it has that vocal sample loop and i obviously from this record i love from my record i mean uh you can tell i love vocal sample loops yeah. i just love <laughs> that album i couldn't my friend pascal fashion club is her project um showed me that hildegard album i just can't believe it it's so good it was very good. I wanted to move on to um, playing live because I don't I don't think that's something that you've talked about recently. I see that you're planning uh, to tour Europe next year and then North America just a few weeks later. Are you excited for that? Especially having not played live consistently in a while? Yes. Um, that Europe tour, we'll see, you know, because of mm -hmm. COVID, it's, it's obviously very complicated to go to a different country every yeah. day as opposed to a different city. Mm -hmm. um, I hope it happens if it's safe, but... I am extremely excited. I was really nervous having not practiced the record yet because I, I just had no idea how we were gonna do it. While we were recording, I refused to think about live at all. I mm -hmm. did not wanna be limited um, by being afraid of making it happen. 
in a live setting. But off to doing this, we did three release shows at a festival, and uh, I had the time of my life. I'm so, I'm so, I'm more excited to perform than I ever have been. I love the band so much. I really think it's That's an, awesome. an extremely strong um, iteration of the live band. Yasmin Miftal and Rio Cruz are the new uh, players, and they absolutely kill it. And Abby Black, my uh, forever drummer best friend, it, they're just so, they're, they're really strong. And I'm really proud of the live set that we made. And I, I, yeah, I'm really, really excited. That's awesome. I know that you've said in the past, and this was years ago, I think, when The Lamb was released, that you felt that with performing, you felt insufficient at times. So do you still feel that way? And do you think that feeling has changed at all? I think occasionally I might feel insufficient, but I actually realized that I just wasn't, it was just too too long playing mm-hmm. the lamp, you know? It was like over and over and over again. And it just wasn't what I was uh, necessarily interested in pursuing anymore. And I've been feeling totally different performing the new record. I, it's been, really exciting and I feel I think also having the the break of two years um with COVID I just feel thrilled I feel thrilled on stage <laughs> yeah that's so good yeah I hear that you mentioned a festival that was the witching hour festival that you just mm-hmm. played right so it's not like a traditional festival from what I understand this is just quoting from their website they're dedicated to exploring the unknown discussing the creative process and presenting new work and they engage in what it means to be human in today's world. So first of all, wow. Uh, how would you say that your new music fits into that idea? Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone who worked that festival was above and beyond engaged. Like I've never uh, really worked with people who were so engaged mm. and thorough um, in a festival or a venue capacity. So shout out to them. That was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard question i i mean i hope i hope that's what my music fits into you know i hope that's kind of the thing about the whole record is like engaging with being a human being yeah yeah that's a big question um okay maybe of all the things that they said and and you said it fits the most with exploring i just want there to be no rules for my music at all like i i know i think it, i think it's kind of funny the way it's, i've been talking about it because it's not like my music is like crazy out there crazy experimental i am ultimately still writing pop songs at the moment mm. um but i just want there to be no rules i want to make an edm album next or make a, a piano record next and not okay. care about what people think at all as long as it's what i'm interested in or what i'm passionate about what i or what i think is good i think it's been i've noticed actually with this record coming out i think it's been confusing for some people who you know the lamb is very straightforward indie rock album you yeah. know it, it's very much fits into that genre and this record doesn't really fit into one particular genre and i think that you know a lot of people love the record and a lot of people get it and are engaging with it but i think it also is confusing to a lot of people what i'm trying to do and i get that and i don't mind and i want to continue not minding <laughs> yeah i called the difference in sound between the three albums that you have out right now I just call it an evolution. Do you think it displays an evolution or is it just more you exploring and putting out whatever sounds good to you? And that's that. I mean, 
mean, I think anything can fit into an evolution, but I will say that I think Sleepyhead into the Lamb is very much uh, a clear stepping stone Definitely. from like punk, punk to indie rock or like more complicated guitar parts or whatever. But um, I think this record sort of, I don't know, it's just not a line anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think I might zigzag back or something. Or, I mean, not to indie rock, but just like I'm going to go in a different direction that isn't uh, necessarily, necessarily linear, you know, like if I were to, I mean, maybe I will do this too. Maybe I'll make an even poppier record that is like even slicker and like oh, like a Portishead style record or sure. something. But I also might make just a vocal and piano and percuss percussion record, which wouldn't be so straightforward in terms of, you know, linear time. Yeah. Do you know, like, do you have any other idea what that sound might look like? Assuming you have like, you know, some demos probably in the works. Um, no, I I have some demos, but I I really want to do a more concentrated uh, writing sure. process than I have done in the past because I really want to control the record and the sounds even more than I did this time. Like I, I do, I want to do like a, I do want to write a record on the piano only. And I plan to do that next year. But yeah, I, I have some demos that are all vocal loop based okay. as well but then i have like i have like a million little snippets on my computer that i have to sort through and, and sort of push in one direction or the other and i want to see you know i also want to experiment working with a couple different producers and see what we can do sure well having at least little bits of material is definitely not a bad problem to have right you mentioned the evolution or like the stepping stone between Sleepyhead and The Lamb. And I know with Sleepyhead, you were, at least from what it sounds like, you were influenced by the Chicago DIY scene, which is very, still a very rich scene. And we also just talked about your current move to New Mexico. Is leaving that scene or an urban area altogether something that you've ever been at least a little bit concerned about in terms of making music? I mean, it's definitely sad to leave a community like that, mm -hmm. but I also don't think I'm fully leaving. Like I'll always come back and I'll always okay. be a be a part of that. But at this point, it doesn't worry me because I feel a little bit. I feel like I need a new writing environment sure. a lot, especially if I want to change my music so drastically and experiment so drastically as I do. It's feeling a little bit stale in my little studio room in my apartment. I'm feeling less. You know, I hesitate to say anything because I love Chicago so much. I think it's an incredible city filled with incredible people, but I am not personally inspired by a city right now. I, I just really, I really want to go to big open spaces. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you said you're not influenced by a city right now. Do you find yourself being influenced by your environment very often during the writing process? I think so. I just think that that happens without you knowing it or okay. you controlling yeah. it. Yeah, I think that that just, for lack of a better word, the vibe seeps in, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. And Taos is a particularly rural area of New Mexico too. So is that something that you were intentional about? You wanted to leave an urban area and just go to somewhere like that? Or you just kind of felt like it was the right place to be? I didn't even know that I was going to move there. I just, uh, I've been thinking about wanting to move for a couple of years. And then I went to Earthship Academy, which if you don't know what that is, Earthship is a type of sustainable housing that is built from traditional building materials, but a lot of trash, like tires and okay. 
cans and bottles and um, they're completely off grid. It's solar, no heating, no AC, contained sewage, collected rainwater. Uh, It's experimental housing. And I went to their school as per the suggestion of my friend Emily Kemp from the band Dead. Uh, We went together and I just sort of knew. And I was like two weeks into the academy. I was just like, oh, this is where I want to be. And, you know, I'm very interested in um, preserving our environment and moving into an off-grid situation was very appealing to me. And I just sort of fell in love with the community in the space. And Taos is kind of, I mean, the ocean community, which I'm, I'm moving to is like 20 minutes outside of Taos, okay. um, but it's a really free place. It's just, it's just, it's a little lawless uh, in a way that's very appealing to me, you know, in my pursuit of, yeah. of less rules for myself. Definitely. Yeah. And it's a really different environment. Yeah, moving away uh, from Chicago, transitioning. That's also where you went to school, Art Institute of Chicago, right? And from what I understand, you initially did visual art. Is that correct? Yes, so, I started as a painter. Okay, but having been a musician for a number of years now, do you still find time for visual art, or is that something that you still enjoy doing? Um, so much less, I, but I love it. I really, really love visual art, and I've been trying to do it a lot more recently. I've tried to be, get back into painting and do a little ceramics and I intend to do more of that in Taos. Yeah, I love I love visual art. Sometimes I get overwhelmed, I just want it's like, oh, there's so much that I want to do. There's only so many hours in a day. Is it the same way with music? Yeah. I mean the time thing, yeah. Yeah. I, I also that. get I just get overwhelmed really easily as a person. Like if I have to do something, um an errand. There are like memes about the kind of person that I am. Okay. <laughs> Where it's like, there's like a calendar and it's like, uh, <laughs> prepare for phone call for three hours. And it's like one hour, have phone yeah, call. Yeah, yeah. And then it's afterwards, three hours, recover from phone call. <laughs> and I feel like my, my psyche or my brain or whatever is so delicate that uh, I'm like an expensive plant or something. Like if the humidity <laughs> isn't right or something, yeah. like I can't write music. Or it's, I'm, I'm ridiculous. I'm a ridiculous person. <laughs> Well, I, from what I can tell, I think it helps in the creative process. So maybe that's a good thing. So one final question. You more or less began your music career when a friend encouraged you to buy a guitar from Craigslist. Yes, Jasper okay. McMahon so, in Electro. If you could go back and tell yourself something at that point in your life, what would you say? I don't know. That's always a really scary question because I'm happy with where I am. Uh, I'm really grateful for exa- pretty much exactly where I am and to like mess with that is scary, you know, butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if I, suspend, if I suspend my disbelief <laughs> the question, um, I think I would say stop drinking. Because mm. I, you know, I, I just would have got, I would have moved a lot faster. I would have learned a lot faster, a lot sooner mm-hmm. if I had not been partying so hard. But then again, it's like maybe I, you know, I dropped out of school basically because of that after a year and uh, maybe I wouldn't have dropped out of school and I don't regret that decision at all, you know. Or like, you know, be more conscious of how you, uh, I wish that I had been a more responsible being in Mm -hmm. the universe in general, like just more aware of how my actions affect other people and how my actions affect the earth, you know, just, yeah, I, yeah, that's what I would, that's what I would hope for my younger self. Okay, great. I love that. 
Lala Lala's third full-length album, I Want the Door to Open, is out everywhere on streaming, vinyl, CD, cassette. You literally have no excuse to not listen to it in some capacity. So go do that and see them out on tour next year. Lily, it's been great. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course.